Let's pray together. Father, worthy are you. Jesus, worthy are you. Spirit, worthy are you. God, you are worthy for all of our praise, for all of our adoration. We celebrate you today. We're so thankful that you have brought us into relationship with you. That while we were yet sinners, when we had been turning our back on you and living our own way, you pursued us. You sought us out and you brought us into relationship. Thank you for this, God. And now would you speak to us? Would you open up your word in a way that we haven't experienced for a while? Would you open up your word and show us things that you've been waiting to talk to us about today? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. You know, as we begin to look at God's word, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt discontent? Have you ever felt this overwhelming sense of frustration about the way something is going? You know, I remember when my son was 12 years old, he decided to take up a new sport. He decided to engage in soccer. Now, my son had played sports before. He was a baseball guy, and he had played that for years. But when we moved from Calgary to Regina, he decided to take up a new sport, soccer. I remember taking him to the field for that first practice with this new team that he was joining. And I remember walking up to the woman that was in charge and introducing my son to her, and she looked at me and she said, do you want to coach? Well, I laughed because I love football, Canadian football. Soccer, I know nothing about. And so I just laughed and I said, no, I'm just here to cheer the kids on. I'm just here to watch my son play. And I remember watching that practice and the disarray that comes with a first practice together. Well, the first game came along and that disarray translated onto the field during the game as well. It was chaos on the field, it was chaos off the field. The score was going up, up higher and higher while ours stayed at a big fat zero. And I remember just being frustrated with this sense of come on, just get the kids playing together, get them working together as a team and I was discontent. I remember talking about it with my wife that week and just saying what chaos there was and how this a person that was in charge just really wasn't able to coach the game. What do you do when you feel discontent? What do you feel when, or what do you do when you have this overwhelming sense of frustration about the way things are going? How do you handle your discontent? I mean, maybe you're experiencing that right now. Maybe you're experiencing that in your work because the boss wants to change things to some new way that you don't think is as good as the old way. Or maybe you see a path through the situation that your work is going through. Maybe you feel discontent in your schooling right now because you signed up to go to classes not to watch a screen. And maybe you're feeling discontent right there. Maybe you're feeling discontent in what's going on in your family. Maybe you're feeling discontent with what's going on in our church. You know, maybe discontent, maybe you're waiting for the stream to cut out. Don't worry, I didn't freeze, that was just me playing a game with you. Maybe you're frustrated, maybe you're discontent about where we are as a church in this season of ministry and wondering why aren't we just getting on with things? You know, if you've ever felt discontent and if you've ever not known what to do with your discontent, I'm glad you've joined us this morning because today we're gonna talk about discontent. Today we're starting a new series about a guy who felt a lot of discontent, a lot of overwhelming frustration, so much so that it caused him to weep. And we're going to look at his story over the coming weeks and we're going to learn what we can do with the discontent and the frustration that we feel. We're going to learn how we can move forward in the season that our church is in right now. We're starting a series on the book of Nehemiah. 
And the book of Nehemiah is the story of a man by the name of Nehemiah. And in fact, it's actually like a journal. And today, you're gonna see that it's a lot like a journal entry that he writes. It's like he sat down at the end of the day and he just decided to write in his diary, here's what went on today. And from Nehemiah's story, we're gonna learn how our story can be impacted if we will lean into the pain of our discontent, if we will own what we can own and if we will listen to the whispers of the Spirit, we can actually be a part of what God wants to do in our church, what God wants to do in our community, what God wants to do in our own lives. So if you have your Bibles, grab it, or if you have your app, turn to Nehemiah chapter one. We're gonna look at the first chapter today and set this all up. As we look at chapter one, we discover, like I said, that this is like a journal entry because it says the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the months of Kislath in the 20th year. Doesn't mean a lot for us, it just means this is who I am. I'm Nehemiah, this is my dad. This is the year that I'm writing, which is 446 BC, almost 2,500 years ago. And it says that in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanai, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men and, question, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah was a Jew. He, he had grown up in the Jewish faith, but he had grown up outside of Israel and Judah. You see, Nehemiah grew up at a time when the Israelites were in exile, that the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel had been conquered, destroyed, and the Jews that had lived there had been transplanted to other nations around the world. The Babylonian Empire had carried off Nehemiah's family as well as the king in Jerusalem into captivity to hold them as hostage so that the people of Judah would not rebel against the king of Babylon. That was over 130 years ago. And in that time, people have settled in and Nehemiah's family settled in that land. And Nehemiah was born. He'd never been to Jerusalem, he'd never been to Judah. Yet there was something in his heart that longed for the restoration of Jerusalem, that longed for the restoration of the temple. And we're told that one day while he's in the citadel, you see he worked for the king. He worked for a foreign king in the citadel. And one day while he is working there, his brother comes home. You see about 10 years earlier, a group of Jews led by a man named Ezra had gone back to Jerusalem and they had finished the temple and they had tried to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. But as we hear from his brother, things aren't going well in Jerusalem. You see, what we hear is that the people that are there, they're living a life, but it's not the life that God envisioned. The people that are there are living in a city without walls, and walls in the ancient Near East were incredibly important, just like locks and alarms are important in our house and doors and making sure that door is closed. When I left this morning, I made sure that my garage door was down, I made sure that the doors to my house were locked, why? Because while I'm away, I don't want anything to happen. And you see, just as we would secure our houses when we leave them, a wall provides security and stability to a city in the ancient Near East. In fact, the book of Proverbs says this in Proverbs 25, it says, uh, Proverbs 28, it says that a, a city without walls is like a person without self-control. Anything goes. And you see, without those walls, they were at the mercy of any bandit that came by. They were at the mercy of anyone that wanted to do anything to them. Walls provided security. And Jerusalem would never be great 
again until a wall surrounded it. And Nehemiah hears this. He hears that this wall is still deconstructed after 130 years. Here's what you need to know, friends, is that there had been people living in Jerusalem all that time. They had tried once to rebuild the wall and met some opposition, and they stopped. Nehemiah's own brother had gone back to rebuild the wall to help rebuild Jerusalem, and because of the opposition that was from out and from within, he stopped. And for 10 years, he had done nothing to rebuild this wall. You see, complacency had come in. And the people of Jerusalem had grown accustomed to getting up in the morning, getting dressed, walking out the door, and not seeing a wall, but seeing the ruins, the three miles of ruins that's encircled Jerusalem. Complacency had set in. They'd gotten used to the status quo. Sometimes it happens, doesn't it? Sometimes we get used to the status quo. This is the way it has always been. Even in churches, that happens. This is the way it's always been. We're used to pastoral turnover. We're worse to, used to people not getting along. We're used to all this, but friends, God has a different way of living. And if we would pay attention to it, things can and should be different if we're paying attention to God. Well, Nehemiah hears the report from his brothers that the people in Jerusalem have settled for the status quo. They're not interested anymore in rebuilding what God wants in Jerusalem. And we're told what happens. We're told in the next verse that when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah sits down and weeps. Have you ever been so consumed with something that you started to weep? My oldest daughter often calls us and she has this bent towards justice. And she'll often call us about injustices and tell us about an injustice that's going on in the world and sometimes it causes her to cry. Sometimes it causes her to get sick to her stomach. Have you ever had a discontent that is like that? That it just stirs something within you and you need to do something. You know, often like Nehemiah, when we hear news like this, when we hear of something that shouldn't be happening, we actually have two reactions that we go to. Our go-to reactions are either to burn like a hot fire or to grow cold like a freezer. We either burn like a hot fire, in which case we get all excited and we get animated, we jump into action and we burn hot and we burn bright and we burn out quickly. A number of years ago, I remember, maybe you remember this as well, there was this thing called the Syrian refugee crisis. Do you remember that? I remember where I was pastoring and I would hear about this. This was all that anybody could talk about. It was all over the news. It was all in our church. It was everywhere. The Syrian refugee crisis and we need to do something about it. We don't hear about it anymore. You know, it hasn't gone away. There's over four million Syrian refugees still today. And that's just the tip of the iceberg because there's 65 million refugees worldwide. Why don't we hear about this? Because sometimes we burn hot and we burn bright and we burn right out. And nothing actually changes when that happens. The other response that we sometimes have is we grow cold, our hearts grow hard, and we pay no attention to it. We become indifferent to us, wondering if what is it that we could do there's nothing that I can do about this situation. That's what we'll begin to think. And I wonder if that's what was going on in Jerusalem. That some had burned bright and hard 
and fought and tried to work at getting that wall rebuilt and others had been just indifferent and neither had made anything happen. But in Nehemiah's life, we see a third way, another way. Nehemiah sits down and weeps when he gets the news. And you know what, if we read through this and we do kind of the math between the dates that are mentioned, we discover that Nehemiah sits and weeps and prays for four to six months. It's not that he isn't doing anything. He's doing something incredibly important. The first step, if we're gonna deal with the discontent that we feel, the frustration that we have, it is leaning into the pain. Nehemiah leans into the pain that he's feeling about what's going on in Jerusalem. Think of it like this. A number of years ago when I turned 40, I decided to take up running. I love to run. I'm not a cold weather runner, but I love to run when the weather's good. And I was running like crazy after about nine months of starting to run. I started to experience this pain. I was running three to four times a week, and I started to have this reoccurring pain that I couldn't explain. Oh sure, I'd had pain before, muscle aches and stuff like that, but nothing like this. The same place was hurting every single time, and only when I ran. I began to talk with one of my friends who did a lot more running than me, and he began to ask me about my shoes. Well, I had great shoes. I had gone out, I had spared no expense because I knew shoes were important if you were gonna be a runner. And so I bought these great shoes. And he started to ask me about these shoes, which are only about six months old. And he said, Kirk, I think you need new shoes. And I'm like, no, no, you gotta understand. I I paid a lot of money for these shoes. I take care of these shoes. These shoes are in pristine condition. And he said, even though you can't see it, they're worn out. (laughs) I thought, you don't know anything, Daryl. And so I kept on running, and the pain kept coming. After about a month, because I'm a slow learner, I thought, okay, I'm gonna go buy a new pair of shoes. And I remember that first run after I bought that new pair of shoes. It was pain-free. You see, the pain that I was feeling when I was running was trying to teach me something, trying to tell me something. And until I leaned into the pain and started to recognize that there might be something wrong with my shoes, Nothing was gonna change for me. You know, that's the same way it is in life. We need to lean into the pain that we're feeling when we feel this discontent because God often speaks to us through the absence of peace in our lives. In Matthew 14, there's a story about Jesus where he experiences this absence of peace. We're told that Jesus went away to a solitary place. He wanted to get away by himself. And he landed on shore beside the Sea of Galilee and a crowd found him. He'd gone to get away, but a crowd finds him. And it says that as he got out of the, book, out of the boat that he was moved with compassion for the crowd. The Greek word that's translated for compassion in the New Testament is a really interesting word. We translate it as compassion, but the Greeks felt that when you feel compassion for someone, you feel it in your gut. And so quite literally, this word that we translate as compassion is that Jesus felt it in his intestines, in his bowels. He felt sick to his stomach over the condition that he saw the people in. Jesus had compassion and he moved him to begin to heal people, to begin to help the people that were all around him. You see, Jesus leaned into the pain and he realized that his heavenly father wanted him to help the people that were there. 
And here's something you need to know about it. If you read the passage before, because often we just focus on that little, that little passage, but if you read right before, what you discover is that Jesus went away to a solitary place. Why? Because his cousin has just died, been killed at the hand of Herod. And Jesus goes away to grieve. He's in pain. And what happens is he sees these people, he gets sick to his stomach, and the hurt one becomes the healing one as he heals everyone around him. And friends, if we would lean into the pain that we're feeling right now, the pain of the last number of years in the church, the pain of whatever it is, maybe you've just come on board with us and there's other pain in your life, but if we would lean into the pain, Jesus has something he wants us to see. Jesus has something he wants us to know. And if we would lean into the pain, it can be redeemed and things can change. Nehemiah sits for four to six months weeping and praying, leaning into the pain. And then something else happens. He begins to pray and we have his prayer. This is why I say it's kind of like he sat down one night and just wrote down in his journal. He says this, this is the prayer that he prays over and over again, not just one and done. This is a reoccurring prayer that he prays. Listen to what it is. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant who's praying this day and night. Have you ever prayed a prayer day and night? Have you ever prayed for your church and what's been going on in our church day and night? I wonder what might happen if we all entered into that right now. I wonder if what would happen if we actually began with our discontent to actually take our discontent to God every day and every night. I wonder if things might be different. He says, listen to your servant who's been praying day and night and the people of Israel. And then he says this, he says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. You see, in those four to six months that Nehemiah is sitting and leaning into the pain, he begins to realize something. He begins to realize why Jerusalem is as it is, why the exile, why all the Jews have been spread around the world, why things are as they are. You know, often when we find ourselves in pain, we ask the question, why? Or we seek to, to point out blame, to say, it's your fault, this is what you did. And Nehemiah, who is sitting and weeping for his home, Jerusalem, who is weeping over his people, he doesn't blame anyone except himself. He wasn't even alive when they went into exile. Yet here what we see Nehemiah doing is confessing that he's lived wickedly, that his family has lived wickedly. You see, Nehemiah is owning what he can own in this moment. You see, I think what's happened is that Nehemiah suddenly realized he went back to the writings of Moses and in Deuteronomy chapter 28, we see that there is this warning that God gives to the people of Israel. He says to them, I will make you a great nation, but if you don't listen to me, then I will destroy Jerusalem, and I will scatter the people into lands you've never heard of before. I will scatter the people, and you will, will worship other gods and you will be dispersed to other kingdoms and you will have to follow other kings' rules. You will not be a nation anymore. And Nehemiah realizes 
But that's exactly what happened to the people of Israel before he was ever born, before he ever heard about what was going on in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah weeps because he realizes that what's happened, even though he wasn't even born, is the result of sin in him and his family and his community. And in that moment, he owns what he can own. And he begins to repent. And you see, if we want to deal with the discontent, if we want to change the world around us, if we want to change our community, if we want to change our family, we have to lean into the pain and we have to own our part of that pain. Jesus, when he comes onto the scene in the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is the way that God intends life to be. He says, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe. You see, the keys to the kingdom are given to those who repent and believe. To repent is to change the way that we think, to transform the way you're thinking right now so that you begin to think about your life and the things that have gone on differently. It is Nehemiah saying, well, it's not my fault what happened to Jerusalem. It is him changing and saying, it's my fault what happened to Jerusalem. God, forgive me. This is a transformation of the way that he's thinking. And that's repentance. It's a transformation of the way we think, the way that we act, the way that we speak. It's a changing of our heart. Jesus says repent and believe. Believing is actually what's happened in our heart, what's happened in our life, actually being displayed in the words and the actions that we have in our life. It is life lived out. And the kingdom of heaven comes when we repent and we believe, when we change the way we think, change the way we react, change what's going on in our life, and begin to believe and trust the way that God is calling us to live. When we have discontent, we need to lean into the pain and we need to own what we can own. I remember back in 2005, my wife and I, we went out on a date night and we went to a movie. And I remember watching this movie, it was called The Constant Gardener, and this movie wrecked me. It's not that it's such a great movie, and it's not one that I'm even recommending to you, but there was this scene in the movie where the main character flies down to the Sudan and he lands in a refugee camp, a refugee camp that has the extreme poor and people suffering with HIV AIDS, and children and old people and young people, it doesn't matter, it's everyone. And the scene wrecked me. I remember almost coming to tears in the theater, being filled with incredible anger about what was going on in the world right now as I realized that that was not some made-up scene, but that was reality. And I remember walking back to the car with Britton after the movie and talking about it and saying, this isn't right. Something needs to be done. But at the same time, feeling, what can I do? That movie wrecked me. For the next two years, do you know what I did? Jesus began to unearth in me attitudes of indifference and judgment that I had towards the extreme poor and those suffering with HIV AIDS. And he brought me to repentance. For two years, I sat in repentance as I realized that the way that I was living and the life that I had was wrong and that I needed to be involved in the mission of God. Two years after I watched that movie, 
the lead pastor of the church where I was working at the time walked into my office and he said, Kirk, I want your help. I want to do something about extreme poverty and help those who are suffering with HIV AIDS in the world. And God opened this door after two years of repentance where I got to be a part of leading an initiative that raised over half a million dollars to help people suffering in extreme poverty and with HIV AIDS. Not only that, but Britton and I went and worked with a clinic in Malawi, Africa, in a community where 28% of the population had HIV AIDS, and where the gospel was coming and transforming that community. Two years of repentance before God led me into what he wanted us to do. Wonder what God wants to do with you, if you would only own what you can own. Wonder what God wants to do with our church if all of us would own what we can own. And I, and I know sometimes we think, well, I wasn't part of what happened over the last little while. Neither was Nehemiah. And yet he still comes to this place where he says, I've got something to own in this. And you know, we need to own what we can own. Even if it's only 1%. Even if it's only a, a gossip that we spread. Even if it's only a dirty look we gave someone. Even if it's only something that we feel deep down late at night, we need to own what we can own if we are gonna move forward and rebuild what God wants here at MJAC. Lean into the pain. Own what you can own. He keeps praying. He says this, remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Friends, that's a promise I think God is speaking this morning to us, that he will gather his church again if we will follow him if we will pursue him. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cut bearer to the king. Nehemiah has access to the king. And for six months, he sits in repentance, leaning into the pain, praying this prayer, and waiting for the whisper of God to speak to him. To tell him, today's the day, Nehemiah, I want you to talk to the king. For six months, we're gonna hear about what happens when he actually does hear the whisper of God and open his mouth next week. But friends, as we deal with the discontent, you know what we need to do? We need to lean into the pain. We need to own what we can own. And we need to listen to the whisper of God and wait on his whisper. I don't know about you, but I have this action bias. I just like to go. And the hardest thing for me is to sit and to wait. But here's the thing. God has a plan. God said that he was gonna gather his people again no matter how far away they are. And Nehemiah had to sit and wait for God to reveal his plan to him. And sometimes that's the hardest thing. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to bite our tongues and to wait for the whisper of God. I started out by telling you about my son's soccer team. And you know, I went home and I just kind of grumbled to my wife about it. But over the course of the week, Jesus began to speak to me. 
began to talk to me about, are you gonna do anything about that discontent? Are you gonna do something? Here's what I want you to do, Kirk. I want you to coach the team. <laughs> me coach the team. I don't play soccer. I don't know what offside is. I don't know the rules. I know nothing about soccer. But Jesus keeps whispering to me, I want you to coach. And so I emailed the woman in charge and I said, you know what, if you still want me to help coach, I will do it. And that led to four years, some of the greatest times with my kids, but also with the kids in the community of just coaching them in soccer, of getting to know parents who are far from God, but close to me. It was just a wonderful time. And it came about because I listened to the whispers of Jesus and followed him in those moments. If you have a discontent, if you have a frustration, and this is something that God has been birthing within you, maybe it's for our church, maybe it's for the community, maybe it's for something completely unrelated, but if, if Jesus has been birthing a discontent within, within you that is filling you wholly, he wants to take that holy discontent and turn it into a holy discontent. Something that will move you into the mission of God and advance his kingdom. Are you listening? So what can you and I do today in response to what we have heard? Well, let me give you three things that you can do today. First is lean into the pain. You know, some of us over the last number of years have been hurt by what's gone on at the church. Have you asked Jesus about that pain? Have you listened to what he has to say? Have you learned anything from the pain? Maybe there's something that he wants to reveal in that. Maybe that's why we're still in this season because we haven't learned what we need to learn. Lean into the pain. And I get it that we're probably hurting from something else or somebody hurt me or somebody did that. I get it. Let Jesus lead you through that pain. Then own what you can own. Own what it is that Jesus puts upon your heart. I don't know what that is, but Jesus does. Listen to what he has to say. There's something for each of us to own. You know what, I was thinking about this this morning. There is something, even if it's something small, for each of us to own. I was thinking, what is it that I need to own, Jesus? And you know, I was working an hour down the highway, having lunch with Tim, knowing that MJack was going through difficulties and I did nothing and friends, I need to own that and I'm sorry. We all have something to own because we didn't get here, just happenstance. Each of us did something. Maybe we knew about conflict and we sat with indifference and did nothing. Maybe we were spreading gossip, talking about the conflict instead of being peacemakers in the midst of that. Own what you can own and then listen for the Spirit. Listen for the Spirit to move forward. Begin praying every day and listen for the Spirit. He'll lead us forward in all of this. You know, incredible things happen in the life of Nehemiah, all because he leaned into the pain, all because he owned what he could own and because he let the Spirit guide him in everything he was doing. And friends, I believe that God has something unique and special for all of us if we will do the same. Let's pray and then we're gonna sing one more song before the family meeting. Oh God, we come this morning and some of us have pain over things we see in the world, over something maybe in our family or in a workplace or maybe it's just over your church here at MJAC. And I pray right now for each of my friends that in the midst of that pain, 
that you would teach us, that you would reveal yourself and reveal us. And like Nehemiah, may we own what we can own. And may you, God, lead us to this place where we can begin to rebuild MJAC the way you envisioned, not the way that it's been for the last 10 years, but the way that you've envisioned for this church. Start with us. Move in us. And change us and our community, we pray. Amen.